Welcome to the Skies Were Under podcast, hosted by me, Rachel Wright. This podcast is created by and for parents of people with disabilities and the many practitioners who support us. It's just for all of us who are trying to get from one end of the week to the other whilst bridging the gap between the life we expected and the one we're actually living. Hi, I'm Rachel, founder and director of Born at the Right Time. I'm a qualified nurse, parent of three, and I've got an eldest son who loves swimming, pointless, and has complex disabilities. I wrote the memoir, The Skies I'm Under, and I'm thrilled you've joined us for another episode of The Skies We're Under podcast. Here, we share the stories of fellow parents so we can all feel a little less alone and a little more understood. Season two is finally off. Properly this time, this episode, the trio are back. I'm joined by Sarah Clayton and Lucy Parr. Sarah is the CEO of Simple Stuff Works. Her eldest daughter suffered a stroke after extensive treatment for a brain tumour. She's now a remarkable young woman getting excited about going to a specialist college which supports people with learning disabilities. Lucy is the sweary vegan who, like Sarah, has four children and her third is a dynamic, sensory-seeking whirlwind who makes everyone fall in love with him. This particular conversation is all about transitions. The ones we face, the ones our children face. This recording was supposed to be in person, but Lucy, luck happened and nothing quite went to plan. What can I say? There's no surprise there. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Skies Wonder podcast. It is now season two. We had our little two introduction episodes over Christmas and we are back and we're back and we'll be back every week in your earlobes, wherever you want to find us, whether it's walking, whether it's uh, exercising, whether it's in the bath, whether it's on the school run, but you know, generally be warned, Lucy and Sarah here, so there's likely to be swearing. Lucy and Sarah, welcome to season two of the Skies Runder podcast. Oh, thank you. Hello, thank you for having us again. It's very exciting to be back. We have loads of incredible guests coming to join us um, this season, and sometimes Sarah pops in to chat as well, and sometimes Lucy pops in to chat as well. But each week we are trying to have different voices of parents, men and women from around the country and the world, in fact, not just (laughs) the country. Um, And we're so excited, but we thought we'd start with the OGs, with the original. What does that mean? Oh. Um, Lucy, <laughs> I don't know, OG, doesn't it? Stop, doesn't... I'm so old. She's old. OG, as in shorthand for original. Well, <laughs> I mean, now you said that, I'm doubting if that's an actual thing. Part of season two of the Skies Wonder podcast, we're going to have some live Zooms. So myself, Sarah and Lucy will be joining anybody who wants to come. And we're going to be chatting about the previous interviews that we've heard and um, generally catching up. So find out through the Born at the Right Time website, www.bornattherighttime.com to find out more about our Zoom live shows to come and join us for a chat. It'll be great to see you. Obviously, we're still open to the tour the UK tour of the Skies Wonder podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but until that time... <laughs> Live tour. I, I'm loving that. I was going to say, we can't even manage to get ourselves together. We have still yet to, to get into the same room. I was going to say, the fucking... Right, let's, let's contextualise here, right? I am supposed to be in Tamworth with 
Sarah and Rachel right now, but do you know what happened? Lucy Luck happened. I've named it Lucy Luck, and luck is not the thing that it is. It's a completely ironic thing, Lucy Luck, because it just shafts me on a regular basis. So um, the Lucy Luck that's occurred this time is the fact that my family have fucking COVID. (laughs) So I can't travel on a train Mm. and go and spend time with Rachel and Sarah. So I'm doomed never to meet Sarah in real life, which makes me quite sad. This is true. I was working out this is our third attempt. Yes. Because we tried, well, first, it's actually fourth. If you count um, Lucy's 40th birthday, then uh, we didn't manage to get to that. That was in August. And then we planned, okay, we'll take you out for dinner, Lucy, for your 40th birthday. And that didn't happen. And then we were supposed to be meeting at the BAPS. Yeah. And that didn't happen. It's been postponed till April. And so then we arranged this. And again, didn't happen. But it will, it will hopefully. And also Lucy Luck has absolutely bespoke itself on my microphone. And my microphone we have just spent the last 30 minutes. <laughs> so we had a good Lucy's half an hour. <laughs> so this, if this is a short episode, it's because we spent half of it. Blame me. Trying to get yeah. it. So if Lucy sounds like she's at the bottom of a toilet, then it's because her microphone's <laughs> not working. Who knows? It's because Lucy Luck has struck Lucy once Luck. again. So what's the third <laughs> thing that's going to happen before the end of the podcast, potentially? Oh, don't, please. <laughs> we don't need any more shit things to happen. Talking of shit things, uh, what grade of storm are you right now? We're in a quiet patch at the moment because, not intentionally, but because EHCP gate continues. We have now got the college placement so that's fine from September. Hey. Apparently, there's going to be a transition. I oh, know. Woohoo! There's going to be a transition term um, after Easter, details of which may or may not arrive before then. And she's supposed to be having the provision that's in the <laughs> EHCP between now and Easter. But they've gone very, very quiet. So I email them about every three days to say, do you have an update? And they... Oh, just ignoring me. I think there's probably just a like a red flag on my emails that's like just ignore her just for now. So we have got like. A, oh, sorry, that went into the junk. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why it keeps happening to you. Interesting. Yeah, so we're quiet at the minute. What about you, Luce? Um, fairly quiet in that everyone's ill and it's half term because you know as is the usual the girls are in a show which is very exciting and they both have leads lead roles um yeah no we're all right um Brecken is well the 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 massive brain surgery that he had in um November which was supposed to fix things in theory, has not fixed things. So we're back to kind of creeping up seizure-wise. He's having kind of a few seizures every day, which are making him fall over, that kind of thing. So we'll need to see where we go with that, which kind of sucks. Um, But that is what it is, you know. It it didn't work. Got to crack on and move on and see where that lands us, really. But it's kind of a bit like, okay, that was a last resort and now it didn't work. So where do we go from here? But generally, yeah, okay. I'm going back to my course, guys. Yeah. I'm shitting myself. Absolutely shitting myself. End of March. <laughs> going back to my EP training. So I'm very excited and also like, fuck, what am I trying to do? Oh, no, you're going to be fabulous. It's okay. How about you, Rach? 
It's tricky in my life right now. Some of it I won't go into. But my we talked in at Christmas, didn't we, about Doreen and going to uh, Christmas starting when Doreen said, oh, I've never bought a Christmas tree before. Uh, well, actually, on Christmas Day, Doreen had a stroke and she never really recovered and she passed away at the end of January. So I'm currently planning her funeral and there's loads of other bits and pieces going on. With our family, um, I had, talking about VHCPs, I had the great scenario where I got an email the middle of January seeing, saying your son's EHCP has turned, has just gone to draft, from draft to final. Check here for the kind of update on the hub or whatever it is. And I sort of went and looked at it uh, and it says review date March 2023. So that EHCP is going to last a whole seven weeks and then it needs to be reviewed again. <laughs> Because it takes them that long to get it from draft to final, yeah. Yeah, it's it so took ridiculous. that long for us to uh, uh, negotiate it being publishable into final. So, and we start again, getting all the reports and all those sort of things. So today I thought we would discuss transitions. Transitions in our lives, the big transitions, the little transitions, the things uh, we're transitioning into another season of the Skies Wonder podcast. We're recording this in the mid Valentine's Day. We're recording this on Valentine's Day, and it's going to come out on the first of March. Did you get some beautiful flowers, ladies, for Valentine's Day? Chocolates? Fuck! Did I get flowers? <laughs> Definitely not. Absolutely, like it's just not a thing. No. Absolutely no. not a thing in my no. house. No. But um, what about you, Rach? Did you get some lovely flowers? I'd have a heart attack if it was even mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not a thing. Is it a thing in your house, Sarah? Oh, no. No, definitely not a thing. <laughs> we went out, we use it as an excuse to go out and have a nice meal, but not really because it's like, because then it's a, it's just an excuse for the kind of, can somebody look after this lot while we go because it's Valentine's Day, it's really important to us really important that we go out (laughs) celebrate our love nice and actually we just go and have a really lovely meal so that was good ladies we talked about how all of us transitioned to a version different version of parenting at different times so for me it was at birth for sarah it was when her daughter suffered a brain tumor around six and then later um, when she suffered a stroke and then lucy it was kind of an evolving situation and, and a diagnosis came through when Brecken was sort of two, three years old, something like that. So there would have been a transition at that point. Have there been any other kind of transitions in your life as a parent where you sort of thought, oh, actually, things changed then? I think it's an evolving transition for me because I think within yourself, you transition from right at the beginning of your journey, having a disabled child and realizing you're a parent of a disabled child I don't know about you but I was this like fiery ball of like everyone who doesn't understand everything about disability is a complete dickhead an ableist awful person and and why are they not understand you saying so there's, there's a change <laughs> yeah there is a change I think there. I have okay. I think I've moved okay. on interesting from good to know <laughs> <laughs> So I was so angry with everybody else for not understanding what we were going through and just like 
why that why did they not understand why did you know and and the reality is I had no clue until I had Brecon I wouldn't have known anything about you know the world of disability I, I there was no reason for me to be involved in that world I didn't have any family or friends that were affected by disability and yet like as soon as I had a disabled child I was like well the whole world should understand what this is like and I'm pissed off and everyone is deliberately um ableist and idiotic and like biased and prejudiced and all that kind of stuff and then I think gradually I just got to a point where I was more accepting of it and just a bit more realistic about the whole thing that actually no one knows everything about everything and that's okay and giving people much more grace I guess moving from a place where my instinctive kick back at people was anger to a place where um it was like oh okay fair enough you don't understand and I was I was patient enough to explain and patient enough to say well this is what this is like and you know Brecken doesn't understand this and I had a lot more time for people to kind of um, help them in their journey of understanding disability and then there's another transition into I think you start off hopeful and naive that you know you'll get everything you need because you've got disabled child so clearly people get what they need don't they like people have the services they need from being hopeful and not somewhat naive to then resigned to the fact that shit this is a system I have to navigate and it's not exactly pro um the service user and it's much more resource-based than um needs led <laughs> shall we say and that's quite a weighty burden to carry and end on um so I think it's you start off being really angry in yourself well this was for me I started off being really angry in myself then I moved to this phase where I was much more patient with everybody else and helping people to understand what this is like And then finally, this kind of almost resigning yourself to the fact that this is life and it's hard and, but being a weirdly at peace with that, I don't know about you, um, weirdly at peace with the fact of navigating a really tricky system and and like, yes, it's hard, but that is what we have to do. Um, Resignation, I guess. I recognise a lot of that set loose. I recognise the, and not just in myself, I recognise the angry. I wasn't really ever angry from a, this shouldn't have happened to me, this shouldn't have happened to him, this is, you know, I, I wasn't ever, you know, naive to the point of thinking that just bad things happen to people all the time and, you know, life is not a bed of roses, so to speak. But I totally resonate with feeling deeply frustrated that people couldn't see the difference in our lives. I talk about it in the book, like, people thinking that our island looks exactly the same but actually if they look closer it's it's the details of it are so different but from a distance it looks kind of like not very different and I see that in younger parents earlier on in their journey like on Facebook and whatever that kind of just utterly livid at especially when your family and really close friends just don't appear to get it and don't have either the capacity or inclination to accommodate and to understand and you know think it's just the same as type stuff I definitely recognize that sort of fury that feels very familiar to me like what you were saying about kind of the everything that you've said there resonates with me and I recognize as well that over the last probably two years I've had another change in terms of the way that I see myself as her mum. And I think previously it was 
like I genuinely didn't think that anybody could do it as well as me like it was like like I have to do this and it wasn't resigned to it was just like this is how it will be she'll always be here she'll always live here she'll always you know kind of like this is how it will be and then um two things happened one was that she said no thank you very much (laughs) I don't want to be here forever you know like I want to do my own thing Oh. oh okay and I remember being hurt by that you know I was anxious mm-hmm. about it I was a bit hurt by it and the kind of um oh like but but I you know like kind of but I can I can support you better than anybody you know and she doesn't want that she wants to go and make mistakes and she wants to go and and take risks and all that sort of stuff which is all good so there was that change and then the next thing that happened was that I found myself completely wholeheartedly agreeing with her like it isn't right for mm. her to be here forever it isn't and and actually i want her to go partly because i want her to go and have all these experiences and to have a fabulous time and then i'm recognizing that actually i want to do some of my own stuff you know it's been 15 years of i want that for myself yeah i want that for me and and i haven't had that kind of um i haven't had that sense before that it was okay that this is actually something that i want for me Born at the right time, we're passionate about improving the lives of people with complex disabilities, whether it's through supporting their family, CPD certified training for practitioners, or influencing policymakers and providers to turn rhetoric into reality. You can find out more about our work, whether it's book on a parent workshop, attend a live podcast event, or check out our range of practitioner training in communication, collaboration, and personalized care by visiting our website, www.bornattherighttime.com. I think as well, the whole martyrdom thing is compounded by the fact that we as women, generally speaking, are the ones who are expected to drop everything yeah. for our children. You don't, if, if a man drops everything for his children, it, it's a notable thing. And everyone goes, oh, aren't they a great yeah. dad? Oh, they've an inspiration. Given like, they've given it's their career. Dad. Yeah, they've given their career up. There's a really funny TikTok of a, of a lady who's basically talking about, um, they, they go to the park as a family and... The, the dad is playing with the kid and every man and his dog says to the dad, well, you know, aren't you a great dad? And, and she then lists the things that she's done at home that day, like wiping bums. There's that song. Ooh, you're such a good dad. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. That one. And I think... I think that there is that pressure, social pressure on us as women. And we, mm. we don't feel able to just go, do you know what? I, I've done my time <laughs> almost. Yeah, and yeah. I think that that's that, that it feels uncomfortable to say, do you know what? I've done how many years and my entire career like pathway has been completely hijacked. You know, like I've had to take two, two years out of my doctoral training just because as soon as Brecken was poorly, it, it wasn't even a spoken about thing. It was, okay, I'll stop what I'm doing and go. You know, well, it, it, there wasn't yeah. even an explicit conversation because there was, it was so ingrained that that is what you do. And I was a stay-at-home mum for a decade. Mm. So, you know, there was kind of that hangover of, oh, Lucy's around, Lucy will do it. Um, but I was also doing my own stuff and I it, it wasn't even a conversation. It was just like, okay, I will just pause and go and do that. And I think that's hard if you're... You think it's hard? Yeah, I think it's hard if you're a woman to not feel guilty about saying, do you know what, I've done my time um, and it, it, I've, I've put a lot of effort in here and I want my own life and that's okay. 
I was going to say, I think that's hard as a woman anyway, because I've felt it with, with, you know, the one going off to university. I've felt that kind of letting go of him. But then because of her vulnerability, it feels like, but what if, what if? And then what I've come to realise is just because it's not, you know, like kind of she won't be living with us, that doesn't mean that she's off, like that, that I'm not still a part of this. And I have had to do the legal stuff behind the scenes to make sure that I am still involved. And, I, and and that took me by surprise as well. So if you are a parent of a younger person, please do be looking at, <laughs> at all of this stuff that you need kind of going from when they're 18. Because that, that assumption that, that you've got that legal position of being involved isn't necessarily true, is it? You know, post 18. We're in the process of getting deputyship for our son so you're in the position where your daughter can consent like you're pursuing power of attorney because you know she can say yeah I want mum or whoever to look after my finances and might you know help me make big decisions and that sort of thing but my son can't and never would be able to so the way the law is at the minute is as soon as he crosses over the chronological threshold of being 18 his parents are no longer the people who are best placed to make the decision about his welfare or finances. So the finances, we're just keeping in our name and we're appointees, that's fine. But we're um, getting deputyship, um, going to the courts. So you have to actually go to the unlike power of attorney, which is like a, you know, you get your interview with a solicitor and you process your paperwork. To get deputyship, you actually have to, as well as complete all the paperwork, potentially go to court and say and they apparently are quite reluctant to give it because they just want everyone to work together which is fine except people you know my son's needs don't exist within nine to five and therefore if you want to make welfare decisions sometimes social welfare decisions occur on a Saturday at six o'clock and sometimes health decisions don't need a hospital but need to happen on a Sunday morning and sometimes and all those things need to be done from the minutiae of you know fibre in his diet to the magnitude of his sort of his his aspirations of the CHCP and the reports from all the different practitioners and what you know making sure everybody's voice that's really important to his progress and development and happiness in life is included I know you spoke about that before Lucy around Brecon with it is residential and that kind of the the real challenge of realizing that as a parent you do the details and the minutiae of the pad orders and the pharmacy and all that sort of stuff but then you're also holding the longer you know is that epilepsy appointment occurred and has the person related to that orthopedic appointment fed back to the local physio what the outcome of that was and did the most recent EEG report get sent to the neurologist at the tertiary centre not just the secondary centre and there's got to be somebody that holds all of that information and there is not a professional that holds all of that information there is not one person and now it's absolutely ridiculous though that the way the law is set up is that you know that that it's hard for the parents to be that person the way it's set up at the minute you'd imagine wouldn't you that they would be desperate for you to take on that deputyship role you know that kind of in my naivety 
you would imagine, wouldn't you, that it would be like, yes, please, yes, stay involved, yes, you know. And instead it feels the opposite, but... I wonder whether the cynical, the cynical part of me, it wonders whether there is something about it's so resource-led, not needs-led, that actually they don't want parents being that person because if parents are that person, parents will demand a higher standard for their children. Whereas if you have just a random appointed person at, at social care or a random appointed person in health to be that deputy ship person make those decisions those decisions are going to be much more likely to be made in the benefit of the local authority resource wise or the local health trust but here's the thing lucy that it's not even an appointed person it's just we'll all make decisions in silo you know obviously he doesn't suddenly get scooped up with 24 round the clock support you know it's not like it's not like they're going to be like you've done your time you know, you don't need to be getting up through the night. You don't need to. We're going to make sure you have all the support you need and that he needs without you being there. Of course, that's not what happens. You know, it's not that they suddenly give you respite all the time or anything like that. You know, we're still expected to take responsibility, you know, actual day to day responsibility for all those things. What happens is that we no longer legally have the authority to carry out that responsibility so it isn't a shift there is no shift when he turns 18 in our role as primary caregivers and as you know needing to coordinate and to look after all these things what happens is legally the people around him could make decisions that we disagreed with and we wouldn't have any legal stance. I mean, hopefully, I think in lots of instances, you know, they take everybody's opinions into account and it it doesn't come down to deputyship. But I mean, when Doreen was, you know, the few weeks before she died, because she didn't have any sort of family locally or whatever, and the family she has is like a cousin sort of, you know, the north of England... Every time I sort of phoned up to get information or tried to sort of said, I'd want this happening or that happening, they were like, uh, and who are you? And uh, and I'm like, I've got power of attorney, like that's, and they were like, oh, okay, yeah, all right then. But I, I had to have that, like though I would have been scuppered if I hadn't had that. And it really made me think I need that to be in place. I, for a couple of years, uh, I haven't even really thought about it. Because I didn't really think that we needed it and I thought that she would be with me forever and ever and everything would be fine. And um, and then it was this this <laughs> EHCP. It's now nearly a year, you know, like kind of of this just constant back and forth with them that made me realise just how shitty the decisions can be. You know, like kind of, you know, and you're just like, oh, my life. Like that's how mm. shit it can get. So, yeah, we need to do this. So, so power of attorney is if the person as you said Rachel has capacity to decide who they want to and it can be health content and it can also be kind of uh, finance so for B she had to have a specialist assessment with a social worker to check that she had capacity to make that decision so that was all fine and uh, all good so then we went on and it's been registered but it's about I think they said it's about seven months so we're probably about it's, it was it was sent off to the court of protection two months ago. So we've probably got another five months before it's all done. But at least in the meantime, it has gone. And I do have that certificate around capacity for that decision and stuff. 
and then deputyships are more involved process, isn't it? But definitely, definitely look at them both if if you think it's something that you need to. Because I didn't, and I and I wish I'd done it earlier. It feels like it's heralded in another sort of phase and transition for us. Like I feel like, like you said, Lucy, right at the very beginning in those early days, there was that just whirlwind of emotions and feeling like at odds to everybody else's experience of parenthood you know that it just didn't match and it didn't equate and you know angry at other people who didn't understand but you know we're gonna we're gonna do this we'll we'll kind of sort that out it took us moving into our current house when my son was must have he must have been five and we kind of I guess it, it do you get to the point where you're It'll be easier when the epilepsy is sorted. It'll be easier when the peg's in. It'll be easier when they start school. It'll be easier when his siblings start school. It'll be easier when, you know, and I'd spent however many years going, it'll be easier when. And we moved into a house and had it adapted pretty quickly. And it was so much easier. Like we weren't carrying up the stairs and we could sit around in our pajamas because we didn't, you know, before we'd have to all get dressed before we all came down because you couldn't go back upstairs. You know, I couldn't go back upstairs because I couldn't carry him up the stairs. And so it was loads. Practically, it was so much easier, but then it was still hard. And I was like, oh, oh, will it be easier when his brother goes? Oh, no, no, it's not actually. I mean, it's different, but it's not necessarily easier and that's what triggered us kind of both getting counseling and both kind of unpicking lots of the traumas and the emotions that had occurred and I feel like this sort of what you're saying Sarah around that your role as a carer for want of a better word you know your role is sort of the looker after the kind of the nurturer the mother hen transitioned um and I certainly feel the last few years I'm I'm kind of done with doing the nights I'm done and I, I feel bad I genuinely you know my my emotions are like what kind of mother are you and I'm like I'm the mother of a 17 year old like that's exactly <laughs> and and most but I know lots of people who still do it I know lots of yeah most but there are lots and lots of incredible people who care for their loved ones until their teens 20s 30s and it's okay to do either you know it's okay like because there are amazing parent carers out there that are doing this into their 80s that doesn't mean that everybody that that's right for everybody and that I think that there are different ways of loving people aren't there you know there's different and and I've come to a point where I recognize that I don't love her any less by listening to her and understanding what it is that she wants and, and that what she wants trumps what I want or I thought I wanted. It's like, do you know what? She is articulate and she is able to um, express what she wants. And in doing that, she has given me permission to be able to express what I want. Yeah. And I really do. And I am grateful to her for it. I'm really grateful to her for it because otherwise, if there was a level of uncertainty, I would hold it all for her. You know, for me, it's not right to, which is not to say that it isn't, you know, right for everybody else, you know. And I think actually thinking about my son who isn't ever 
able to articulate and say that to me. When I think about how I'm parenting his brothers, a goal for them is for me to bring, for them to be happy beyond us, to not need their parents for security, for um, comfort, for joy, for fun, for safety. You know, you know, my aim is to bring up his brothers so that they are good in other relationships, so that they can thrive elsewhere. And I think I'm coming to the point in this transition to realize that that is it's the same for him so I don't anticipate you know there isn't an expectation where he is going to leave home but that doesn't mean that um you know actually having other people care for him having other people do fun stuff with him is actually what is is still my role as his parent it's still the best that I can um give him and do for him what about if we are in that position of change whether that's you know our little one going off to school I remember that being really tricky having you know heard I remember feeling like I'd heard every breath of my son for the first three and a half years and then him going off to school and being with these people that I didn't know and I hadn't yet trusted and feeling utterly unhinged by this letting go so whether it's that the the sort of really early years or in the other transitions you know, asking carers to come and be part of your support at home. That's a massive transition for people. Or, um, you know, for me, it was the time I actually let the bus take him to school rather than me drop him off. You know, there's lots of these things that all tend to be associated with letting go of a certain another thing. Is there anything we can do to help ourselves in those transitions to prepare ourselves? Yeah, that's a really good question. I had two typical kids and then Brecken. So the, the typical, I was very much not a helicopter parent in any way. My children were feral and free range. <laughs> and <laughs> so the transitions to putting them in school, I was they just waved me bye-bye and off they go. And all the other parents are crying and I'm just like, bye, <laughs> hooray, I've got some time to myself. But with Brex, very different. And I think... I think there's much more of, if I'm honest with myself, there's much more of my identity tied up with Brecken than there is with my other children. My identity as a parent of a disabled child versus my identity as just a regular parent. I can quite easily let my other children go, you know, uh, Daisy's off at uni, no bother. I'm really proud of her. She's living her best life. The other two... Uh, one of them is doing an apprenticeship and, and um, one of them is still at school. And, uh, you know, I have no qualms about promoting, we, we use this phrase quite a lot, promoting independence with them. No, I'm not giving you a lift, get the bus. Yeah, it, you know, it, it, there's not, <laughs> exactly. There, there's, um, it's not that same level of identity, whereas it's so tangled up with the decisions I make because you're making decisions all the time, which are such high stakes decisions, which we've, talked about before constant high stakes decisions life or death decisions really impactful meaningful significant decisions with your child who is disabled that that my identity is so much more entangled with Brecken and who he is and what what happens next and so I I need to 
almost explicitly and consciously give myself permission to step back and let other people make those decisions. And while I'm still holding the macro stuff and checking in on the minutiae stuff, actually the day-to-day stuff with him being a residential, other people do. And I'm still really uncomfortable about that, but I'm learning to be less uncomfortable about it and more all right about doing things for myself and inverted commas. Um, you know, like we just took the big step of like deciding actually if we go away for a weekend and it's just me and Stu, then which really I say that as though it's a regular thing. It's not a regular thing. Um, but as and what we went, we went to a hospital appointment in, in Plymouth and decided to use that time to then just stay for the weekend in Devon. And it was really nice, but we reflected back afterwards. Actually, we were still on the end of the phone every five minutes. We were still like checking in on the WhatsApp groups. We were still checking in that he was all right, managing, managing, project managing. And actually to give ourselves the permission to say, we don't contact us unless there's a life or death emergency, which obviously might happen as well because it's bracken. But, um, and giving yourself permission to take those little steps away and give that, the kind of holding responsibility to other people for for times and for obviously for appropriate decisions and appropriate things because obviously I'm not just going to go oh yeah someone else can make all the decisions about epilepsy and go to the neurology appointment you know that that's not appropriate but the little things that's okay to do and give yourself permission to do that explicitly and consciously that personally has helped me to to make that transition to stepping back and and viewing him as you said Sarah um viewing him and Rachel as a he's a teenage boy he's 15 he's almost 16 he what would I be doing in another context with the typical 15 16 year old but you know my other kids yeah bye see you later promoting independence (laughs) um having some of that same attitude towards him in the things that don't that don't matter so much um I don't know if that made sense but so I hadn't thought about it before like that in terms of my identity being so caught up in hers and it absolutely, it so is. Maybe that's what was a bit hurtful when it was, but my plan is that you'll live in the garden. And she was like, I don't want to live in your garden. You know, like kind of, I'm like, but you could and I could watch you from here. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be so independent in eye line of sight. <laughs> yes, you'll be really independent. And I can just look at you and check where you are. And she's like, no, that's not what I want. I want to live, you know, and we live in a um, a little village. So it's really difficult in terms of, and like one of the OT reports that we've had done recently for, for the whole EHCP thing says, you know, where, where you live is difficult for her because she can't practice walking to the shops because it's, you know, like kind of the nearest shop is a mile away. So you can't, and it's two, you know, two, da, da, da. But it's hard. And she's like, no, I want to live somewhere where I can walk to the shops and I can do this and I can do that. She needs to be in like a little town centre, you know, but there we go. But, but yeah, it's um, tricky. Want the Right Time is a proud partner of Simple Stuff Works. Together, we champion the protection of people's bodies through engaging and enjoyable training, looking at 24-hour postural care, and specifically, the importance of lying support. 
Whether you're a novice wanting a short three-hour online course taking you through the basics, a specialist practitioner needing comprehensive training, or anything in between, we have a range of CPD-certified courses just for you. Find out more at www.bornatherighttime.com, where we give you the language, skills, and confidence to protect people through excellence in 24-hour postural care. I was going to echo exactly that. I was really curious. Can either of you think what might be the reasons underpinning that difference between how we perceive our role in ourselves within the context of parenting our children with with disabilities versus our other children? Is what is it the vulnerability? Is it the fact that we've shaped our life around I think it's yeah it's all of those things and then navigating a system that is if I felt comfortable and confident that the system that we navigated that was set up to support our children did exactly that I genuinely think I would have no issue going okay great like you're listening to me this is what he needs off we go but it isn't like that and so that is one huge factor because you don't feel like you are working co-productively with that system you feel like you need to protect your child okay so it's not just their vulnerability but it's the lack of support from the systems which are set up to support you yeah your first thing as a mother isn't it is to protect your children that's like your instinctive thing as a mother and therefore if you have a vulnerable children a vulnerable child but then you also have a vulnerable child within a system that doesn't support that vulnerable child you've got a double whammy of oh shit like how is this going to pan out um mama bear yeah and then that becomes your default because you don't have a chance to just be a parent because you're constantly having to navigate this system and the structures around your child and be that mama bear thing and the warrior thing and all that fucking language that's like battle language in the disability community which I totally understand why it's there because that's what we have to do but it becomes your default mode of being with that child I'm not able ever to sit with Brecken and just be his mum like I have to do caring stuff I have to um, I'm constantly scanning to see whether they've missed something at the residential I'm constantly checking in to see whether they've given him the right meds whether they're he's they're feeding him decent food all those kind of things stuff that you wouldn't do with a regular 15 16 year old you just they're already there with that they can do that themselves so I think there's a lot of things but but and also some sort of maybe somewhere along the line some sort of like is it you talked about this Rach is it my fault in some way and therefore this kind of subconscious like I need to hold I need to hold this because it if if it had turned out it might have turned out differently if I hadn't done x y or z so therefore there's almost this like subconscious punishment of yourself that you need to be able you need to be all things to all people when it when it comes to your disabled child I don't know Oh, now that one touched a nerve, Lucy. That re- like that that really does, isn't it? You know that kind of did I, if I'd done it different, would this have worked out? And I have to atone for what I might or might not have done in this whole shit show. At the beginning of this conversation, we were talking about people not necessarily understanding what it's like to become a parent of a disabled child. So we spend a long, long time explaining what it's like you know so so then to come to a point where it's like actually we're gonna now we've got it's identity it's um what you were just talking about there Lucy about some form of atonement there's so much isn't there 
And then we're going to start to try to extricate ourselves from this web that we have created. <laughs> Tangled um, ourselves in. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> Nobody can do it like I can. Oh, shit, I need somebody else to do it. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's a whole PhD thesis, that, in itself. <laughs> yeah, totally. Right, ladies, due to technical difficulties, it kind of already is past the time that we should have stopped uh, this recording. But to finish, for this season of The Skies Were Under, we're having rapid fire questions at the end of every episode. And I thought we could all answer the rapid fire questions for ourselves. Okay, so start nice and easy. What was your favourite subject at school? Biology. Science. Just general, science is more than science. Just choose a science. Oh, no, I can't. They're all good. <laughs> yeah, but probably physics. Good. Yeah, they're all good. Uh, do you know why I like science? Because it's right or wrong. I did not like subjects that were not right or wrong at school. Oh, that's why I liked maths. I hate maths. That was my favourite. Maths. Loved it. Just work it out. There's an answer. Done. Um, you're a superhero, What's your chosen superpower? Invisibility. Ooh. You could go anywhere. Imagine that. Ultimate voyeur. <laughs> Not <laughs> anywhere, no one knows that. <laughs> what about you guys? So my, mine was uh, uh, keeping my mouth shut, not saying the first thing that comes into my head, particularly in social situations that I find a bit stressful. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Oh, so difficult. For mine, it's freezing time. I'd like to have the power to like freeze time, get all the shit done, and then like start again. <laughs> That's what I'd like to do. Um, what's an ordinary moment that brings you joy? Going in the sea. Oh, definitely going in the sea, but I don't get to do that very often. So probably my absolute favourite time is recently, Saturday night, Detectorists. I'm going to watch the whole thing again. I've become like a Detectorist <laughs> obsessive. Love it. <laughs> and a licorice all sort. Very nice. I can tell you an ordinary moment that didn't give me bring me joy, and that's that Sarah took me to the gym yesterday morning. So I'm st staying with Sarah for a couple of nights because <laughs> we're doing some work. Went to the gym yesterday morning, can flipping barely walk. I've got that, you know, that point where you want to go to the toilet and you're like, oh, can I hold it in? Because it's going to really hurt sitting down. And you have to like put your hand on the toilet seat before you like kind of sort of drop onto it. And the other thing, uh, oh, I'll tell you some unordinary an moment that brought me joy recently. Lucy bought me a... My Lucy, not the podcast Lucy. My Lucy bought me uh, for Christmas a really posh, really posh afternoon tea up the somewhere, the Shard, I think it was, in London, and went to the toilet and they've got warm toilet seats. Oh my Ooh. goodness. Now, every time I put my ass in a toilet seat, it's just a bit sad. Because I, I just. Are you I, are you sure I, that someone hadn't just? No, it was warm. Hadn't just been in before you and no, had a massive shit but I, for like I, an hour. I completely <laughs> see that that's a thing. Like I would totally <laughs> pay someone to warm my toilet seat up for me now. It's so nice, 
And there's just a little bit of me dies every time that I sit on a toilet seat that's really cold now. It's very sad. Ah, what's the last photo you took? Yeah. <laughs> last photo you took. Do you know what? <laughs> that could have been bad, but it isn't. Because, um, <laughs> because it's a screenshot of when my computer fucked up earlier on today <laughs> sending you on whatsApp a screenshot of I'm stuck outside the pod shop room <laughs> mine is of Polly Anna and Sarah walking with their torches this morning oh mine's my negative covid test that I sent to you guys <laughs> yeah, they sent to us that, to... that whilst Lucy was screwed I was fine <laughs> <laughs> If you were to win a, a TV reality show, which one would it be? Love Island. <laughs> Love Island? Yeah. <laughs> Sarah, I hate to break it to you, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> what? Like an old Could lady Love Island? A, a little sweetie. Love <laughs> Island. <laughs> and, and my granny, my granny pants. And my saggy tits and my... I'd love it. I'd wander about. <laughs> and my little stretch marky belly. <sighs> well, I think I'd be doing the nation a favour. <laughs> Should be a menopause Love Island. Yeah, menopause Love Island. Menopause Love Island. Which, I currently wander around the gym. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I currently wander around the gym and if anybody, if I hear anybody mention anything vaguely related to tenor, I let them know that Primark do period knickers, that if you wear those to the gym, you don't need tenor and you just wear that perfect. So anybody that vaguely looks as if they might need that advice, I go and tell them. <laughs> Have you got a problem Whether they with the want it or not. Let me tell you about... <laughs> Let me tell you about this environment. Okay. I think I, I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. I think I'd like to win that. Just because that would be fun doing all those challenges, you know. That'll be. Except I'm vegan, so they'd have to feed me like fermented banana blossom and stuff like that instead of bugs. But that'd be all right. Um, I'd, I'd love to do Strictly and never watch it, but I would love to dance. Strictly would be fabulous. Can I just say that I, I've never watched an episode of Love Island, so. But I've just seen the pictures and I related. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Detectress, my ass. It's Love Island all the way. We believe you. All right. What's your comfort food of choice? All the food. That's such a hard <laughs> question. It's just literally all the food. Says the vegan. <laughs> Mine, licorice all sorts. I love my licorice all sorts. So... I love a biscuit, but if Tim is not at home and I'm, uh, like, when I was on, like, if I didn't have kids and I was on my own, or even when the kids were little, and now we still do it, uh, my go-to dinner is fish fingers, rice, and baked beans with Liam Perrins on the rice. (laughs) Oh, I love Liam Perrins on the rice. Oh, that makes me sad. Lean on rice, fish fingers and baked beans. I love that. I didn't know that other people did that. What's happening in your life which most excites you right now? I'm going back to my doctorate. I'm also shitting myself about it, but I'm trying to get to a point where it's exciting. Yeah. Be going to college. Next bit. 
the bit that like the the exciting bit that we've got that at least that bit is in writing and registered with the court so i still got a whole load of other shit to do but that bit is going to happen the ehcp like kind of provision and need bit is still being done but that bit's done so that's exciting i wrote these questions and i've asked hundreds of people hundreds not that many dozens um and i don't know what hundreds thousands thousands millions so popular um i wonder what excites me food excites me full stop carbohydrates always excite me what am i excited about i don't want to say doing the training this afternoon uh, could it be that you're a finalist for the hsj awards <laughs> it could be that I'm a finalist for the HSJ Awards, but I'm not that excited because I have no plan on winning. Because we can't even afford to attend the awards evening because their tickets are too expensive. <laughs> oh, I'm excited about the BAPS. I'm trying to think of something to be excited about for my children, but I can't. <laughs> I'm trying to think of something lovely and sweet to say. Oh, I'm just. Is excited. it World Book Day? Oh, flipping heck. It is coming up to World Book Day. My husband recently did a costume. So Tim did a costume for our youngest going into school because everyone had to dress up as an animal to save, to raise money for the hospice. And he totally went OTT in the costume. He made this flipping massive ant costume that was bigger than him he kind of strapped his skateboard helmet to this massive cardboard thing that basically trailed right down to his knees and had the head right in front of him it was totally epic when this comes out i'll post i'll try and post some uh, ant photos um yeah madness our world book day they found a new fresh hell for world book day and that is not only does your child have to go in as a character but you also have to send in a character formed from fruit and no <laughs> is it not an yes. or it's not yeah. like a so not only dress up or send a vegetable no you've got to do both of these things no both of these things so i'm going to go down and puberty thing <laughs> and i was thinking that carrots and kiwis will feature carrots and kiwis <laughs> oh god can you imagine and we've been sent examples and these examples are like um they're like bake-off type standard <laughs> food stuffs that have been created you know and you're just like fuck off <laughs> you ridiculous man honestly Oh, it sounds like a perfect place to end the podcast. Basically, believing. Fuck off, you ridiculous man. Actually, yeah. Full circle, World Book Day, and telling people to get lost. Ladies, it's been so nice talking to you again. I'm looking forward to our live events on Zoom. You can Get your tickets at morethewrighttime.com. We are doing our live events on the 15th of March, the 21st of April and the 18th of May. You can email into the podcast if you have any questions or thoughts or ideas at tswupodcast at gmail.com. That's tswupodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Sarah and Lucy, for joining us. And we shall see you all another time. Love you, ladies. Bye. Bye. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye.
This Guys Wonder podcast is a Born at the Right Time production supported by the expert studio assistants of Podshop. Thanks to our wonderful guests for sharing their stories and very precious time. And special thanks to the generosity of listeners whose donations have helped make this podcast. We would love it if you could like, follow and review the podcast wherever you listen. As part of season two, we have some great live events, including the really ropey idea of Sarah, Lucy and I being your agony aunts. Email your stories, comments and questions either to tswupodcast at gmail.com to join in or follow us on Instagram at born at right time. We love you joining us for the ride as we hurtle along this off-piste version of parenting. It's so much better when we do it together. Whatever skies we're under. <laughs>